I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? Rethinking your faith often leads to leaving your faith community to look for something else, something more, something real. And while that move probably was for the best, there's still an unavoidable loss of comfort that the old group gave you and a loss of certainty that came with it. Either way, it doesn't make wandering in the spiritual wilderness any easier. So, among the questions we probably won't properly answer today, should we try to replace the comfort we lost? Should we go back to the certainty group we left? And how can gratitude help us find something more ultimate than certainty? I had been screaming Hey, so how's it going, Steve? Oh, pretty good, man. Uh, if I if I may be as pedantic as not pedantic pedestrian that's the word I'm looking for. Depends on what you're talking, about to say. <laughs> it's talking about the weather. Yeah, uh, it's it's not cold enough yet. I know some people, my wife included, are not going to like me saying that, but it it's stinking December and it was like sixty degrees today, or something. Yeah, it's we're in right. the foothills in Colorado. Yeah. And I'm used to, uh, I, winter is possibly my favorite, uh, favorite season. I like them all. I like that we have different seasons here, but, um, yeah. fall, fall and winter are my favorite, but usually fall is extremely cold. And I kind of think of Halloween as when we get our first snow. Yeah. Uh, so I always have warm themed Halloween costumes where I did when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I was always like. A clown wearing a, a ski suit, you know, or you know, something. <laughs> or at least know, it had to be, yeah, something at least you could put a coat over, you know, put nothing a coat with like over. huge wings or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty bad for like princesses, um, but it hasn't snowed uh, at all yet, and it's December. We got a dusting, but that didn't really count. It, we did? Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. But it's yeah, still, it's yeah. unusually warm, and uh, I like... I love the cold so much. I get happy when it's really cold and I love it when you walk out of a supermarket and it's so cold that the air catches in your lungs a little bit. The Mm -hmm. first breath you take, that's, that makes me happy. And like you can feel ice crystals forming in your nose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So it's weird. I I think it's a record actually. It is. Yeah. Record. But you know, nothing to be alarmed about. It's all, everything's fine. We're fine. This is fine. Well, people, wherever you are, people always talk about the weather. Yeah, of course. And And one of the most common conversations is either, this is the weather that we always have. Yes, it sure is. Or, this is not weather that we usually have. It sure is not. Those are the (laughs) two. It doesn't matter where you're from. And then people will say, oh, that's insert location place weather for you yeah so you'll be in oklahoma and it and they'll be like it was raining yesterday and it's sunny today oh that's oklahoma for you no that's just weather you know that's how it <laughs> works everywhere anyways that's just the earth yeah 
but it it doesn't feel Christmassy. No. So it's uh it's abnormally warm, but I did uh so big big thing for our family this week went with my nearly seven year old son, six year old son to get second dose of vaccine. Sweet. How's how did it, did it hit him pretty hard? Uh, we're still in the window of that. I don't know the answer to that question. Hmm. Um, the the first shot just hurt his arm a little bit. Yeah, but he did great. He was nervous. Just if you're like, hey, we are now driving for somebody to stick a needle in your arm. Now we're <laughs> in line waiting for it. It's like too much <laughs> anticipation of a scary. Oh, thing. I see. You know, uh, but he did great. Um, the first time, and then the second time, it was like a movie. There was this cute little girl, probably the same age, six years old, big thick glasses, <laughs> and she came up to Malachi, and he looked nervous, and she said, "I'm here to get my vaccination. Are are you too?" And he's like, "Yeah." And she was like, "I brought a comfort animal to help me feel better. It's gonna be okay." And she Aww. she was like. Telling him it's going to be fine. It is like a scene out of a movie. Yeah. I It kind of for me is just like marking the time. And it's it's just a relief that, okay, now it's available for more and more people. Yeah. But he's almost seven. Two of his years have, have been uh, this kind of crazy world. So he was talking about, yeah. do you think there's going to be time when we don't wear masks? Or, um, oh, I hope so. <laughs> you know, is there a time when I'm not going to have to get you know more vaccinations? Or what's the next virus going to be? He's like, is mm. there going to be another one after this? Mm, interesting. And two out of seven years, I don't know how far back he remembers, but I would guess it it kind of feels like half his life. So, oh yeah, it's like all he's probably ever known. Yeah, preschool, kindergarten, first grade. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. Hannah just got the booster. Yeah, a couple oh. days ago, yeah. and they just hit her hard today, so she stayed home from school. So we're all all vaxxed and boosted up in our house, except for Noah because they didn't approve the booster for the kids. But we're doing okay. He, and then we found out that uh, one of the classes at school has lice, and the, then he was like, "What's worse?" COVID or lice? And I was like, that's a great question. <laughs> if you're in kindergarten and you're wearing masks and you have to stay home if you have symptoms and you have the vaccine and you're six, lice is worse. <laughs> yes. Because uh, lice is one of those things that you don't, you don't want to experience. He's like, so lice can kill you? I was like, ah, technically yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they'd have to try real hard. So you're fine. Yeah. So I hate lice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was about yeah. to, I was about to say lice is the only thing that can make you like, it's one of the strongest things that can make you think you have it just by thinking about it. Oh, absolutely. I'm like, my like, head's starting to itch. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, you have lice at Stop your school. About it. <laughs> Do I have lice? Is this lice that I'm feeling right now? But uh, it's like saying yawn, talking about yawning uh, a lot. Dang it. You make people yawn. Yeah. I wonder if we can make people yawn through space and time if both of us just like yawned right now. Stop talking about it. I think it makes me yawn. 
I'm like really finding it back right now. Uh, rate our show. Go go to Apple Podcasts and and <laughs> click five stars if you just yawned. These guys make me yawn. <laughs> yeah, they, but that's they a good thing. <laughs> Every time. So I, have I talked about going to the comedy club uh, and talking about it rings a bell, but I don't think you really did. So um, my wife and I have been doing religiously do, uh, having date night every Thursday night for a very long time, maybe a, for at least a year before we got married. Oh, wow. That's great. And maybe longer. Now I don't remember, but it used to be we were long distance, so we were that was the one time we'd set aside to actually see each other and we would uh, Skype and have a conversation. We read books together and oh wow, that kind of thing. Uh, but now we're together. And so it's a completely different, you know, we don't necessarily need that time just to see each other, but it's still been nice to have intentional time. And so one of our new favorite things has been a comedy club that opened recently here in town. Yeah, I like uh, going to comedy and I, I kind of appreciate it and I kind of wonder that it's probably going to be awful and awful comedy is really uncomfortable to yeah. watch. But we went and we were pleasantly surprised. There's still, you know, it's not always like A plus, but we've gone back several times. It's like 10 bucks a person or maybe cheaper and just like a great, great time. Uh, better than a movie. Uh, but as we continued going kind of regularly for date night i realized that the that what people talk about in comedy clubs is like their mental illness they're struggling with or mm. depression or mm-hmm. um like har- real things like sad you know, things often yeah often it's real personal not sad but just very uh real and open mhm and then we watched at the same place at the comedy club. It was a one man show that was all about, all about depression, mental illness, and suicide. Oh my word! And it was heart hilarious. Yeah, but the uh, I was sitting there, th- and I was struck by this feeling. The, these are complete strangers that go, you know, the comedians getting up and and talking about this, and I couldn't help but think I. I wish these conversations were happening at church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like the stuff we were talking about was right at the intersection of, I don't know, things that are important and that impact a lot of people. And I wondered like, what, like, what is it? What is it that prevents us from having this kind of discussion? That's that kind of that real and raw and vulnerable at mm-hmm. church. Cause kind of the, you know, what I've heard is like that, that kind of conversation happens in the basement of churches, right? It happens mm-hmm. in 12 step programs. It happens oh, right, right. in the kind of during the week, kind of regular everyday stuff that happens at churches that are serving their communities. But it often doesn't make it upstairs to the sanctuary. Hmm. I don't know why. I just noticed that and it kind of made me sad and I guess grateful that 
those conversations are happening and there are pockets and places where where that can happen, but I wish there were more. Yeah, why why is that? That we don't do that at church? Are we uh, seems like I mean to me if I had to, if if I had to guess, um it's because at church um we are concerned about looking good to the other folks at church. Yeah. And if I'm not doing good, I mean, that's why the church is there partly to help, you know, support. It's like automatic support group, right? Yeah. That's, I, you know, I've had, had the same thought. Like, there, are we protecting our reputations? Mm. Or even is there like a, some way we're expected to be? I think that there's something to that. And we appreciate realness in churches. We, yeah. The, especially in a preacher or a pastor, we we want to see emotion or we want to hear about real things. But I think there's kind of a, there's kind of a limit to that. I, I was thinking another shower thought I had that's very related to that is I was thinking about actually how hard it would be to be a minister, especially a preacher and what it's like the very first Sunday when you realize I do not want to give this message right now. Like mm. I am not feeling this. I'm, you know, I'm mad at someone or I'm depressed or I'm just in a bad spot or I'm questioning my relationship with God. What is it like that first Sunday to go and preach anyways? Hmm. And then when you drive home and people said that was great, that was heartfelt, you know, I loved it. And then what does it feel like to practice that a few times a year where, you know, this is one that you know, it's just kind of for the lights and the camera. And um, it, it's just a, kind of one of those things that I, I thought about, like, man, not only is it hard for the, for the members to just have that openness or those conversations about certain topics, but how maybe lonely it would be to be the one in front of people also not able to talk about that stuff. That's almost a, the way where you're describing it is almost a, a another vote against having a sermon centric worship service because yeah it that, that at that point it becomes purely performative all my votes are against a sermon centric sunday for sure i mean yeah. in in like a real relationship church the he the preacher he or she whatever they could get up and Say, you know, guys, I plan to teach this lesson on the joy of Christ, of being in Christ, but <laughs> I've had a just a crappy week, you know, and and just kind of t- go from go from there and be honest and and real with people. But you do that, and that, that's not what people expect, and it's gonna it's not gonna go over well. I mean, well, it, it might, but I don't know. And there's certain kinds there's certain kinds of realness that does go over well, but I think as a preacher you'd quickly find out what those are right so you can yeah. fake the realness right or, or whatever and we i have experienced those walls have come down for me in small group mm. in life groups or small group you know r- religious gathering yeah where there's not one person or a topic it's much easier to get people to say I'm really struggling with this right now or I'm questioning something or I feel bad or I don't know if I believe this or 
I don't know what to make of this thing. And you, I think if you have a, a pastor and then the pastor comes into your small group, you would kind of stop saying that stuff mm. and the, or, and the pastor wouldn't be able to say that stuff either. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. It's kind of always a, I feel bad for it. Cause I, I think it's kind of always a performance or at least always a, um, you have to have your radars up if you're in ministry mm-hmm. because like people, like what are people going to think? Or it's kind of like a job that you're always on. Yes, a job that you've got to look good all the time. It's it's a performer. That you know that I've I've done I've preached lots of sermons and it it's it feels good for people to go that was a really good sermon you know you did a really good job. Of course, it feels good for people to compliment you, but I mean that's it's not why you're doing it. And when when you're not doing it to, I don't know what what pray tell Nathan is the reason we have sermons on Sunday. Mm. I mean, the only time I really hear about sermons being preached is not really on a Sunday. It's like late into the night where people fall out and die out, die from falling out the window <laughs> or uh, in the middle of the temple courtyard. That's an interesting question. I th- There's probably actually a, a true answer to that. Like, here is the development of sermon centric experiences through history. But I think, I think the reason that they have stayed is probably because of economics. Hmm. Interesting. And efficiency. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of what, what I think of as church is, most of the time is going to be taken up by by one person teaching. You know, the, and there's every, all of those things are good. Taking communion together is great. Worshiping together, singing, and then someone who their time is devoted to to studying all week, uh, so that they can teach everybody on Sunday. That seems like a great idea to me. But I think maybe even more damaging that than a sermon centric Sunday is a Sunday centric Christianity. Oh yeah. So layers of the onion there. <laughs> you go to the, the comedy club and, and people are, you know, they're not there to get to, you know, what they're talking about is, is their life. They leave. It's, it's the stuff that they're still going to talk about but I feel like there's something that happens in church where what happens on Sunday becomes a really big thing. It's kind of what distinguishes us from other Christians who are doing different things in different ways on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It definitely distinguishes us from people who are doing nothing on Sunday. And then it's format maybe accidentally because all these people the church we went to that what everyone there is trying to do the right thing that helps people that helps people live out their faith through the week. Right. Right. But the format and the structure and the institution is going to constantly be pulling in the other direction. Mm-hmm. I, I just saw, um, the artist naked pastor who we got to talk to a while ago. He posted a, a drawing and it was, a it was mice running on a hamster wheel. 
And uh, Naked Pastor, what's his name again? David Hayward? David Hayward, yeah. David Hayward. It came to me in a question. and uh, <laughs> So his his art is is great at kind of poking at some of the weaknesses of institutional church. Yeah. I think it's useful in, in that it does that. Um, but anyways, the, in this case, the point he was kind of trying to make is it doesn't matter how big the hamster wheel is that you're on there. You're all just on a hamster wheel. And it was kind of Mm. about, you know, being part of a church. I don't know if that's, that's uh, how I feel, but what he wrote along with the, art really stuck out to me and part of it he talks about uh just what happens in institutions Mm -hmm. and he says in general in general institutions parent teacher associations churches the gravitation here's what he said this is david hayward aka naked pastor the gravitational pull of all institutions including the church is toward the dehumanization of their members hmm which is why I claim that it takes constant, deliberate, and intentional energy to prevent this from happening. It takes work, and lots of work, to form and maintain healthy communities, no matter how big or small they are, from a marriage to a megachurch. Hmm. So just, just thinking about not what we all are, are meaning to do, our intention at church, and I think probably most churches— is to do good and to be good people or mm-hmm. be correct and you know reach out to the community and serve that's good but what he's saying here and I agree with this is that you you still it's still worth looking at what is this doing how you know what are our weaknesses what are our blind spots what what are we not saying that we should be saying mm-hmm. but i i think there's a dehumanization that happens when religion becomes believing the correct things and and then worshiping in the correct way. Why do you think that dehumanization happens? Is it is it easier f- to handle people when they're all the same or when you assume that they're all the same? Well, what you know, the the things we talked about like maybe avoiding certain topics. Mhm. Or as the preacher putting on a, a face or the song leader or whatever that is. There's a small, you know, that's a tiny grain of sand that is a small dehumanization. It is uh, because you are becoming an idea more than a human at that point. You're a concept, not a living and breathing experience of Mm -hmm. Christian. You are what people think I should be as a Christian, what people think Mm. I should be as a preacher, what people think I should be as a mom. Uh, or a woman, or a man, or a you know single, or whatever. Right. And I wonder if the stronger your institution, you know, the the more well formed those ideas are of what you should be, the more you have to contort or hide or um, strive to be that. Makes me think of. Are you familiar with the the concept of personas in design or marketing? In marketing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so in marketing is pretty common. It's also common in user experience design, which I I know more about than marketing, but it's the, it's the idea that you you look at your audience or your customer base or whatever. 
the people you're trying to communicate with or reach. And if there's thousands of them, like for marketing, you, you, you can't do something that everybody is happy with. You can't do something everybody likes. So you kind of figure out what are the general large swaths I can take that will get, is going to cover the most people, kind of like the 80-20 rule, sort of. And so you may have, if, if you are selling radios, you may have uh, a persona that is a person who is a, a teenager. They just like to play their music loud and let everybody else outside the car hear it. And they just want to have fun with their radio all the time. And so you may name that persona like, I don't know, Skeeter. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good teenager name. I was trying to come up with one and I couldn't. Is it? Skeeter, no, the, yeah. Maybe like Hayden or Braden or I don't know, good teenager names. I don't know what they are. Anyway, so you, you like name this fake person. You'll even get a photo of somebody that, that looks like it may be this person. And you stick it up yeah. on the wall and say, this is Skeeter. He's 17 years old, et cetera. Go down the row and describe everything about Skeeter. And then you've got another persona that's like Skeeter's mom, maybe, or like a grandpa or whatever. And so you try to design the thing or do the marketing toward those personas. And if you think about it, it's kind of dehumanizing everybody else by creating fake humans. Yeah. In an attempt to hit the most people. And I, I could see how in a group that it, it could tend toward that, even unintentionally, because you can't address all the needs. So let's let's hit the big ones. And that could I could see that tending toward or leading eventually to like if you don't fit in one of these large persona uh cubby holes, then I can't be bothered with you. Or I, because I put you in the Skeeter persona box, I assume that everything about Skeeter is exactly what you are. So it strips everything away, and all you're left with is the things that I am comfortable thinking about you, mm-hmm. and that's the reality of you. And that doesn't work in a church, at least not the way I understand that churches are supposed to work. But it's, yeah, in marketing, it's, it's, so, it's very effective and efficient. Yeah. And I, I don't know who said this, so I don't know who I'm quoting, but I've heard it said that idolatry always eventually harms human bodies. Hmm. Or maybe I could rephrase that and say, idolatry is at its nature dehumanizing. Hmm. And I just injected a weird uh, church word into this conversation, but what idolatry is, is not you know, that you worship a, I don't know, a wooden statue in a, in a niche somewhere. Um, idolatry is when you worship something or elevate something as more important than it should be or above God or above people. Yeah. And the, I think a, or maybe the central claim of, Judeo-Christianity or Judeo-Christian thought is the inherent value of people, of all people. Yeah. And so if you're looking at something that is harming people, 
another way to ask instead of saying what why is this dehumanization happening a great w- question to ask is what is being worshiped here what what is the what is being lifted up as the ultimate good mm. and the the one that's probably the biggest that's the hardest to see is just uh money yeah oh yeah Every conversation I've ever had about like why a company should have better work balance for its employees or why a company should treat its employees better has always uh, ultimately ended with because those people will work harder and make that company more money. Yeah, or if they leave, it costs more to get a new person yeah, to keep the existing right? one. So we, we start and end with a an economic justification. Follow them when. Yeah, if you were worshiping something that was not money, you might say, yeah, it's a lot more expensive, but uh, we believe humans are more important than money, so we're going to choose that, <laughs> right? It, that's never how that conversation goes. It's not, right. oh, a small business owner should should hold their responsibility to the community so strongly that uh, it's actually more important for them to have equitable hiring practices than just to stay in business. Mm-hmm. But the conversation we actually have is, well, if if they went out of business, those people wouldn't have jobs. So what they actually need yeah. to do is what's best for them, which is to make the most money, right? It's an ultimate, it's a thing that you, you get to the bottom and it's an ultimate value. More right. money is better than less money and it's how we measure people. It's how we measure, hey, if you, people who sleep eight hours a day, you know, are more productive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. So it's a good score, a way to score people and their value. Right. <laughs> And in a church, I think uh, actually money is not always the the idol that's being worshipped. I think it's hard to get away from the realities of money in churches. And certainly there are probably churches where the worship of money or the fear of losing people or, yeah. or money is, is, is real and motivates people to do things. Probably individually for preachers, it definitely motivates them to say things or not say things. Just the the threat of losing a paycheck. Yeah. But I think maybe other idols would be things like efficiency, consistency, or certainty. Maybe especially certainty. Comfort. Which same thing. So. Ooh, comfort. Yeah. C- comfort and certainty and security kind of all, all wrapped in one where you know, maybe there's an economic reason that we want to keep people, you know, in that spot, but just inherently we want to, we gravitate towards the safe position. Yeah. The unvulnerable position. And so if I was a elder or a preacher at a church and I was constantly pushing us towards true discomfort, either people would go to the next church over where they're not constantly having to deal with that mm-hmm. or someone would come talk to me and say, you need to cut that out. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that maybe certainty is the idol certainty comfort that we worship. Mm. Um, yeah, I could see that. And there's, you know, I mean, what's the point of religion if not certainty? <laughs> right. The, uh. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely kind of how I was how like 
back to the first couple episodes of our podcast, like the things we miss uh, mislearned. That's kind of how what I feel like I learned is that's the point of everything is everything is all around structuring things so that you can be certain that you're right, that you've got it figured out, that your that your name is on the roll in heaven. Yeah, all that. And you, I mean that, like I totally understand that. I want that. I yeah. want that feeling, and it. Uh, it, by the way, if you have ever experienced any kind of, uh, you know, a backlash against either leaving or, or questioning or criticizing that kind of community, um, that is a direct result of that certainty at the middle because an insider defecting is the worst thing can happen in a, in the idol worship of certainty. Mm. Yeah. Right. We love that when that happens, you know, if, man, I, I went through analogies and examples in my head and got nothing as far back as the cold war. And I don't even remember the cold war, but, (laughs) um, we want a Cuban in the cold war to make it here and say, I was part of the Castro regime and it's horrible there. And I, you know, like what they're doing is wrong. Yep. Right, that the defector persona, that is something that we love when it comes from somewhere else into our certainty community. I grew up Mormon, and now I'm uh, go to a Church of Christ, or I was an atheist, and then I came here. That's a defector, and we love that. Where certainty community, they were wrong. They through the truth, they realized that we are all correct here in this building, and they joined us. Yeah, it's awesome. Great validation. Yeah. But the the defector from the certainty group is just the worst thing you could do. Right? Yeah. And that's maybe how we know that that is the the, the ultimate idol. If it was money, then what we would hear is this family doesn't ever give. Yeah. If it was, what are other idols? If it was sex, that is all we would talk about. Right. So in some places, that's probably what it is. But if it's certainty, then you meet, you reinforce, you remind each other, this is what we believe and why. You might hear sermons, I don't know, about that other people believe different things and that they're wrong. And then, yeah, the, the, the worst thing you could do is, is depart. Yeah. So that, that's the criticism of the certainty community. I think that as people who grew up in certainty communities, worshiping certainty, Mm -hmm. that's kind of harsh, but, but lifting up certainty, focusing on certainty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But it it hurts humans. So I'm going to be a little bit harsh. I do think it dehumanizes, but leaving certainty, the first thing you're going to want to do is latch on to something else. Yep. Right. The it's like the I don't know, the lifelong prisoner who suddenly has no structure because they're on parole. Yeah. And you need or the, you know, the cult member who like finally makes it out of a cult and just tries to find like another leader to tell them like how to live. Or like the the stereotypical uh, relationship rebound. Yeah, I was going to say, like, married 10 times gets married the 11th time. That is a. Um, it is that feeling from, 
yeah, this is, this is, I need to hold on to something. So I think for the folks who are outside of that comfort feeling of that certainty, I think we are going to impulsive, impulsively want to seek that. Yeah. I mean, that, that relationship, whatever it is, group, individual, whatever, brought me comfort, even if it was uncomfortable at first, it has now become comfortable and I want to replace that feeling and feel that thing again. Totally natural. And maybe that's why we were in the church in the first place. Maybe not, but, but I do think that feeling will express itself in several ways. I think a big way is just like wanting to get the validation from the church we left because we still identify them as a certainty group and we want to be we, I'd rather be here where I am with my beliefs mm-hmm. and the certainty group say, yes, we accept that. That would actually have been the most comfortable position for me is this is what I think. And the certainty group said, we are all with Nathan. We agree. Yeah. Cause I actually would prefer to stay in certainty just with my new beliefs. Almost directly the same thing of that as that is leaving, but being validated by a new certainty group. Like, Mm. Oh, now we have all the, like we have all the new things. Correct. Yeah. Well, you know, you're a defector into the correct group. Welcome. And I've been thinking about that a lot. This might be a logical fallacy, but have you heard a lot more about just the term deconstruction this week than previous weeks? Is it? I really have. Yeah. Did the algorithms just figure us out or is it real? Well, I, I, I think it's maybe both because I think over the more people who are experiencing this disconnect and the feeling of wanting to rethink some things and or maybe cast heavier doubts than usual, I think that number of people is growing. And it's kind of getting to the point where some of the louder voices on the evangelical world are starting to feel the, the, the hit. Right. And so I've, I've heard more, a bit more bigger name people. And like I said, more louder voices say things and use the word deconstruction. I mean, I think that the concept has been around a long time. Like we've talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's seems like recently that's been happening more. What I've seen the most are, and this is the most frustrating thing for me to watch, uh, they are word debates about what deconstruction is and whether it's good or bad. But usually the people who think it's good and the people who think it's bad also completely disagree on the definition. (laughs) Yeah, Isn't that so frustrating? So they're like, it's bad and it means this. And someone else is like, no, it's good and it means this. And they're like, you know, uh, it's kind of like the, this happened to social justice. It's so frustrating yes. because you're not going to get anywhere with someone talking about social justice. And so the most common conversation is <laughs> between someone who thinks social justice means concern for the, for the weak and someone else who thinks social justice, what you are secretly meaning is governmental policies that are socialist. Yep. And so, right, the conversation is just a dead end from the very yeah, start. It's, and it's, it's so like the Black Lives Matter thing. Like, yeah. I may be saying that 
the lives of black people matter. Yeah. And the other side's like, but the organization BLM supports this and that. I'm like, well, I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the, the, the sentence black lives matter. Right. Or the response. Well, all lives, all lives matter. Yeah. Right. right so right. <laughs> you, you're, that is, that is like the, maybe the, the most frustrating word debate we've had recently. Cause it's just like, yeah, you are, you are correct. Both of you are correct. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you are not getting the point. You're not going to have fruitful dialogue because you've picked words that you're never going to see eye to eye on. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm starting to see that happen with deconstruction and it's kind mm. of frustrating. And usually my strategy when that happens is to just pick a new word, but I don't have one yet. It's such a new word for this. It doesn't even mean what we, like we just made it up. Like, <laughs> you know, a couple years ago, it's, it's already been co-opted, but I, tr- I decided I was going to try to come up with my own definition of deconstructing. Okay. And it ki- kind of ties into, well, no, I'm not going to de- define deconstruction. I'm going to, I need your help coming up with an, a new word so that when I talk to someone who is just against deconstruction, I can be like me too. But what I'm for is this different thing, <laughs> right? And just describe the same thing, but. Um, so I, I just wanted to like pause, look mm. back and describe what my, what has been happening with me where I am okay, and see if we, if you can help me find a word to use. So, and I think that I, I don't know, L- let me know if you, if you think you have stuff in common with this or are a discussion group following the fire discussion group. So here we go. I wonder if for me, uh, it's actually this awareness of the idols, awareness of the things we lifted up higher than they should have been. Mm-hmm. That might just be the, the shortest definition. I didn't write that down, but I like that better than what I wrote down. Just <laughs> awareness of the things we worship that we were never supposed to worship. Hmm. But that causes a problem. So here's my actual definition. So okay. uh, progressing from simplicity to complexity as individuals usually, but eventually maybe our departure from a group starts out as only this little seed. It's precipitated by what we think are inconsistencies between our beliefs and what our community believes or what our community preaches Often it's because we maybe believe our communities were wrong on some point, like they're misreading the Bible in some area, mm-hmm. or they've, like I said, they've they've placed a priority in maybe the wrong spot. That's how it starts is just, hey, I, I, I have some space on this issue. But then the awareness of this causes us to want to correct or address that problem in our communities from the inside, which is when we learn we didn't know this before, we had the space but we learned that our communities are certainty communities. And so experience teaches us, all of us learned this the hard way that we either must conform or leave. 
And nobody says you must conform or leave, but what happens is you have the little area, you realize it's not okay to talk about, not because someone says it's not okay to talk about, but because of uncomfortable silence or because mm. nobody ever talks about it and you wish they did, right? And you realize that the people who have that discomfort have left or have conformed. And so you realize that that's kind of the choice you have as well. I've either got to put up with it or leave. And so then there's a choice there. And some people stay and struggle with that difference. All right, I'm going to deny my questions or I'm going to try to reconcile myself to the group over time and just kind of hope that that happens. Those people are in this space, but they've, they've remained part of their communities. Or those who leave struggle basically with what it means to have left. Mm. Was leaving the correct thing to do? Or what do I do now that I don't have that? Or where do I go next? Or that desire to have that group, like the ultimate desire I think was still, you know, to have them come to where I am, right? Not, not have to leave. Mm. And so for me that, you know, that my story there is not about ideas and picking apart ideas and kind of rebuilding. Yeah. It's more about the friction of having a difference or seeing an inconsistency and then realizing that that friction is, is making me an outsider in my own group right? The most important group in my life. Right. So I don't know. What, what do I call that? So it's not the what you're describing seems to be more of a passive thing. Am I right? On, on your okay. part. Yeah. Cause if, if I was like, um, yeah, for me, definitely. I, I didn't sit down and say, I want to do this on purpose. Yeah. Well, uh, the, I wouldn't, I don't think many people who are quote deconstructing are any, hardly anybody has ever sat down and said, I'm going to rethink things. Sure. Yeah. And so it's, it's more of a, like I have accumulated knowledge or experience or whatever a lot, over time. And the buildup of that, that belief structure in my mind I wake up one day and it's tipped over the, it's over the tipping point. And I like there there's, there was one Sunday where you went to church and you were fine and maybe, eh, nothing's great. And then the next Sunday you went to church and you're like, okay, this is, I, I can't do this anymore. And maybe, yeah. it, maybe like it eases over time. And I think that the, the, the word deconstruction is a very active thing. And so huh. I think I am actively deconstructing now. Right. But I didn't start that way. I didn't start thinking, let me rethink everything and, you know, toss it all out or, you know, deconstruct. But it, it's, it's kind of like the progression to the point where you're, you realize you can't stay is kind of a, it's a, it's an invisible thing almost, it seems like. And then once you get to that point and you leave, you're like, okay, let's t- see where this goes. And then it becomes active. That is so, yeah, you're, you're right on to that. It's like I had an image of, of an astronaut 
like you're on the spacewalk in the space station, you're in your suit, and then something happens with your tether and you start drifting away from the space station. Yeah. You know, whatever happened there was the passive part that we're talking about. Yeah. But then what the astronaut's going to do is start to evaluate things, right? (laughs) Oh, no, right? What happened? How did this happen? Can I make it back to the space station? Do they even know I'm out here? Which Mm. direction am I going? You know, what uh, is there any hope for me in that direction? Like, what do I do now? This that wasn't part of the plan. Mm -hmm. So that man, yeah. So the totally because my my description is definitely passive and over time. It's kind of like the kind of thing that like creates a pearl or. Uh, mm, yeah. rips through, you know, like just the little grain of something. In some situations, it it pearls over, it smooths over, right? The 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 slow, steady forces of nature. In this case, of conformity or certainty or or um, influence, you know, smooth it out and make it acceptable and palatable. Right. That's not. A, I'm not making a negative judgment about that. It's and this, like, and this, like a sand stays. Yeah, it's still there. Doesn't but, go anywhere. But the um the process of processes have taken care of it. Mm-hmm. Right? But the same process is also why we have Arch National Park or whatever that you know, the, the same grant grain of sand wears through a boulder. Or right, in my case, time. my genes don't pearl over. Eventually my knee just breaks through and I have a hole in my genes. <laughs> yeah. And so it seems to happen overnight, but it was a gradual process and I didn't notice until right until I'm at that place. And then when you, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Where, what do you do once you notice? Well, do it on purpose maybe, or question why it happened or try to reconcile or try to, um, for me, my, uh, astronaut moment or realization it hasn't it hasn't been as much about I want to pick apart all of my I want to kill all my darlings. Yeah. For me it's been more about like what do I do with all my energy now? What do I do with my passion? <laughs> One word I came up with it is just like I have nomadic passion right now. Cuz I used to be able to talk to you on Wednesday nights or have a teach a class or or do a a communion talk. And I get a, I have a vent for that, for my passion. And sometimes I'm challenging the group or criticizing the group or encouraging the group or mm-hmm. solidifying our certainty, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm doing all those things. So I think for you, you've had a dive into like, I'm going to do this on purpose. You know, like I'm going to look at what, what other things are there? What other things are there? You know, um, yeah. oh, what movie is that from? Joe versus the volcano. Shoot. Nobody will have. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies, but uh, yeah, the anyways, the main character. It's not good to, to quote movies that nobody's seen. Uh, anyways, um, I think that some passion can certainly be directed towards criticizing the previous group. Mm-hmm. That's a natural thing to happen natural thing to happen is to direct passion towards trying to reconcile. Like I want back in, or would you please just budge a little bit so I can be in, but still have this belief or whatever, or even as a nomad or following that 
that nomad analogy, I think some another thing that you want to do is just make a home where you are. So entrench, like, okay, if you're going to call me a deconstructionist, then I'm going to own it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, now I'm going to build a, a spot where now, like, I, I believe the new thing, right? And kind of defend against that or defend that position. You know, it's like, what persona am I? And it's so hard not to think of myself as the persona that my church probably thinks I am. Persona non grata. Non grata. Yeah. Or lost, right? Just the, or what's the, what's the word for lost when you like, uh, when it's cause you're like stumbling into sin, there's a word. Apostate. Yeah. It's a lower, it's lower class word. Um, it's like, uh, shoot. It has to do with like um, erosion. It's like an erosion kind of word. Rats. Backsliding? Maybe. Oh. Yeah, that's close. You know, at like growing up in that certainty uh, group, I want them to just see, oh, this, you know, this is not lost or this is fine. But I kind of have that impulse to defend, to defend uh, myself. Or to say this is the new certainty and you are wrong. You are, you are right. not, you know, like now that I'm the astronaut, you know, here and I've discovered, oh, we like the view from here is 10 times better than the view from there. And I'm going in a direction that's better, right? The impulse to either say, everyone come with me or you are wrong over there is pretty strong. That was a bad example because if you're the astronaut, you are in big trouble. <laughs> you you do need to get back to the space station. Yeah, it's interesting that you the the like thinking through that slow slow transition from belief into questioning your beliefs into like I can't be here anymore, which is kind of where most people really uh, it seems to be at that. That's like a. That's like a decision point. Like you may you may wake up one one Sunday, like I was saying earlier. You get, you could go one Sunday, it's fine. The next Sunday, you're like, I can't do this anymore. And that's it's it's an interesting to think about that decision point because some people maybe it has to do with agreeableness, like we've talked about in the past. Some people are going to go, well, pff, I'm done. I'm I'm out of here. Let's see what else is out there. And some people are are going to actively tamp that down because they just can't cope with with losing anything. Well, I, you know, I think actively, I think the people who stay and stay with that discomfort, I'm going to, like, I have a lot of sympathy for that. Oh, sure. You know, the... yeah. It, because cause actually what they're staying in is the discomfort. Yeah. And the discomfort is pointing at their humanity and saying either you are less than what you're supposed should be, right? Maybe you're closeted gay and mm-hmm. you're, or you are, you know, not uh, married or you're not whatever, but you're like stay there in the group that says you're supposed to be something different. Yeah. Or you have this frustration and you want to move the the group in, in a direction, you, you know, you want to like 
so that anyways that I have a lot of uh sympathy or you know I, I think there are noble and or difficult paths to take that are staying oh yeah along with that I kind of interrupted because I also agree with where you're going along with the desire to to kind of cling against that uh end and try to get back to when things were simple and black and white and you were correct. Yeah. And the book we're going to discuss next week, the faith after doubt by Brian McLaren. He mentions a guy in there and he doesn't really talk a lot about te- like quote unquote deconstruction, but that's kind of what the book's about. Yeah. Kind of deconstructing different at multiple times throughout your life. And he knew he knew a guy who had moved on to a different stage of his faith, essentially had deconstructed and moved away from his church and had kind of formed other beliefs, but his child had developed cancer. And so he actively chose to go back to where he was before, to a more certainty-based black and white thinking faith. Yeah. To have that, that feeling of comfort and certainty that he didn't have when he was outside of that faith and or outside of that church. So I think that's, it's interesting how you can, different people can have the same, seemingly the same journey along the way. And then different experiences make them want to go different directions. Yeah. And then I I think that that's fine because I, you know, I've said this before, we both have that there's no one way to do this faith journey thing. There's no one way to deconstruct. Uh, And it's not like there's a manual for this other than I think the phrase work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you know, as close as I can get to it because I think we should take this stuff seriously, but that kind of looks different for everybody and everybody has different paths throughout life. Yeah. I I remember that example and it's powerful Partially because it shows, on the one hand, it shows a like a very illogical thing for someone to do. It's a it's like a weakness of I don't know, maybe another idol, just consistency or a weakness of yeah. how could they willingly choose you know kind of ignorance because ignorance was bliss over you know where they had kind of gotten to. But when I said that you know what is what is religion if if not for certainty like that's a whole point i mean that both despairingly but also sincerely mm-hmm. so i'm i'm mocking the the fact that the point of religion should not be comfort and certainty especially when your religion's religion is certainty when your religion is worshiping certainty yeah. but there is an immense amount of simple comfort in religion, in Christianity, in a relationship with God, in a in a church community that is valuable because it is simple and because it is comfortable yeah. in times when you need you know you need that. So, and as unmoored astronauts or deconstructing nomads, what do you do when when you need that? You know, when you need the simple mm. comfort, mm. and it it's kind of like you can't go back home again. Yeah. Like, I mean, do you, 
you just make an economic consideration and just pretend and just go to a church, right? And it's kind of your insurance policy. No, that, that's <laughs> that's hard to live with. Mm-hmm. But it is an interesting thing, I think, for folks like us to think about, like what, um, like what, what is the, I don't know, what is the eulogy that I would give right now? Like, what would do you give yourself? Just if tragedy happens, like where do I have a place for the simple comfort mm. that is also part of my complex, uncomfortable searching process? The girl with the with the raggedy bunny at Walgreens getting her vaccine <laughs> understood the value. She she's old enough to know. Like she can see what's happening from the outside, mm-hmm. right? She knows that that's both a stuffed animal that's just a whatever, but also a powerful tool that makes her feel safe. Yeah. And I don't know, something, you go through something hard you go or something beautiful, and sometimes you kind of want to cling to that simplicity again. Yeah. So I, in all the complexity, like I think it's all important to find those, find those uh, oases of peace, community, simplicity, comfort. It's not those things are not inherently bad. vibe from some people in the deconstruction community that the the goal is discomfort almost and i i think i've probably had you know i've mentioned i've I've said multiple times how i like to find out that i'm wrong but not always (laughs) (laughs) you know there are there are times when i'm like let's figure out all the things i've done wrong or been mistaken on there are times when i just want to sit down and, and read a thing or watch a thing that is comfortable that I know mm-hmm. uh, I saw somebody asked a question on f- Facebook or Twitter somewhere and I said what's your like go-to movie when you are down in the dumps or sick or whatever what is it fantastic Mr. Fox 100% yeah Wes Anderson yeah. movie Fan- it's, I, I could once in a while I'll just be like it is time to watch fantastic Mr. Fox <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh or I read the, I listen to the book uh, "Ocean at the End of the Lane" by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah, dude, do have you read that you, book? Yeah, I can't believe that is my favorite uh, fiction book. I think absolutely. Oh, it's favorite. so good. Love oh, it. Oh man, I'm looking around. Uh, yeah, it's like the so good. It's like a that's an interesting book because it's a genre that is usually uh, simple and it's mm-hmm. extremely. Nuancy and complex. Oh yeah, especially if you haven't had the audio version. Listen to the audio version. Neil Gaiman reads it. That dude can read. Oh my word! I, the only way to read his books. Anyway, so <laughs> I, you have these points of comfort, yeah. and it makes sense to have, you know. And the things I've mentioned, of course, are very 
quote unquote secular, but it makes sense to have areas of comfort for your spiritual life as well. And your, I guess, for lack of a term, religious life. And I think that that's a lot of the discomfort that I'm going through. Maybe you as well. Uh, having grown up in the church, I grew up here in town. I, like I've said, my parents were the first couple married in that church building. So literally my entire life, I have been going to that building once a week, at least twice, three times a week sometimes, forever. With, you know, time for college and things like that. Yeah. And so just walking in those doors gave me a sense of comfort because I knew where everything was. I knew where all the plugs in the wall were, <laughs> where the stains in the carpet were and why they're there, you know, all that stuff. So just, just the simple lack of the comfort of that building has kind of been hard. As weird as it sounds, I've had to keep myself from going and buying, just kind of walking around the building just because I've, I've missed that comfort, comfortable place. And pe- comfortable people, same thing. Yeah. And comfortable songs. Like I, I, I like the music at our new church. The guy who put puts together mu- the music, he's fantastic, very talented, etc. But they're just not the songs I grew up with, and it's just, it's hard to. So it's like recreating this comfortable stuff, and that's hard. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a mourning, it's a grief. Yeah, because it's. The, you know, even though the thing happened gradually, extremely gradually, probably, when the gene rips, it's extremely difficult to, to mend it. It hurts. Because the, the gene rips and it's actually been, you know, it's just going to rip right where you put the patch, right? Because it's... Yeah. Um, and it's never the same. Right. And yeah, the, like if I... I don't know how many times I've said to myself, I, I w- wish I could unlearn the things I've learned sometimes. Because, you know, but going back to the to the world where you were ignorant of some of the things that I've learned or seen in the world or experienced from other Christians that have led me to where I am, if I hadn't known those things, I would not have such deep discomfort. I it, maybe discomfort in other areas, but to have this, this much discomfort in the area that is the most important to you is hard. And so I, I want, once again, I, I've mentioned how my family has kind of lost, like broken contact with me in a lot of ways. I get it because I was a source of comfort for them. I was steadfast. I was the guy that they could always count on to do whatever at church. And now I'm not that guy. I'm a sense of dis, a source of discomfort. Yeah. And I think it's value. I'm glad you brought this up tonight because it's valuable to note the discomfort and to realize that it's okay to look for new sources of comfort because that's something that we need. I don't know where it is on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it's, it's gotta be in there somewhere. Just the sense of security. Well, yeah, security is the uh, bottom. There you go. Yeah. Pretty sure. There you go. There you go. <laughs> The, the bottom one, we've we screwed up, Nathan. What have we done? I should look it up, actually, because if it's not the bottom one, I'll be embarrassed later. Uh, like food and shelter is the bottom one or something. Anyway, it's it's low down. On yeah. The, on the, on the, on the it's, a, it's important. 
but I, I think it's it's good to realize that it's it's okay to find the new sense of comfort. Deconstruction, rethinking faith, being a spiritual nomad. I like that one, by the way, the spiritual nomad one. Uh, those things don't have to mean that we never have certainty or comfort ever again in our lives. And maybe the certainty is being that you're certain that you're not ever going to be certain again. That kind of sounds maybe backwards, but it's it's a fact. You can you can find comfort in the fact that you're not going to know, and that's okay. And well, that's yeah, where I'm going toward. I would call that okay. I don't have to worship certainty anymore. Where certainty is yeah. not an ultimate thing. Comfort and security can come from places. Value can come from places other than certainty as, as comfort. And Maslow, it's a middle need actually. So physiological then safety but then it's like belonging love and esteem in the middle so oh yeah but well those are all the same kind of thing yeah exactly you know it's like yeah you do need physiological safety but all of those kinds of comfort are needed before you can do anything creative or right mm -hmm. um human right you are dehumanized until you get to that to that middle middle section and I think that that's why we've kind of dogged in the in the past. We've kind of dogged on the idea that we grew up worshiping the Bible, sort of. And I still think that's a bad idea, but I I understand it more because the Bible is a source of comfort. Because I'm certain, if I at least by my reckoning of the Bible, if, if I interpret it this way, I'm certain that I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to every day, everything's going to be right. Mm -hmm. And so if I, if I can understand more about that thing or really internalize that thing, whatever it is, Bible or whatever, then that gives me a, a lot more sense of certainty and comfort. And so that's an easy thing. I can read words and I can read books about the book, but you know, one thing that I'm learning is that there's just, it's not as certain as we wanted it to be. As frustrating as it is and as eye-opening as that is, it's just uh, certainty is not as certain as we were certain it was. Yeah. Yeah. There's one uh, final thought I have. I do think in some cases you can't unabraid the genes. There's not a mm. process for that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, back to the, the debate about what deconstruction means and whether it's good or bad or what to do about it, right? Or what to do while you're in it or whatever. I think what's been frustrating about those conversations is they really are trying to close the gap between those two things, find the common ground, find the, or convince the, the one person or the other person. Yeah. But... Like we said, all of our job analogies or job rationales end in economics. Mm. I think that that's a debate that is still lifting up certainty as ultimate because there's a, there's a truth that's in, that someone must not have because these people disagree. But I don't think that that has to be how it is. That's not how we would think of two kids who have different favorite colors who are arguing. You would look at them and not think there's a truth in the middle of this and one of them doesn't have it. Mm. So 
I think that a thing, a weapon of this, of the spirit of deconstruction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what to call it, but a, a tool in the tool belt is gratitude and what, and I think that it works on both sides. So I think gratitude can help you to find something more ultimate than certainty. Gratitude can help you look back on your previous faith community passed through a lens possibly of extreme pain at this point for some people, Mm -hmm. but find the people who helped you or the ideas who helped you or the things that you still have that are, that are uh, useful to you or that have helped you. And of course, looking back at our church, I, I mean, I have three decades of gratitude for people and for, you know, service and for examples and for et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, um, I don't have nothing but gratitude. I have lots of things other than gratitude, but I have sure. also gratitude. I can be grateful for where I am and the maybe perspective that I've gotten. And I don't know. I don't think I did any to deserve anything to deserve this perspective mm-hmm. that I think is good. I, you know, like I, I think oh, it's yeah. helpful yeah. even if there's you know, pain or, or discomfort associated with it, but I'm grateful that I got that chance yeah. and gratitude for where I'm going. And um, I think even sitting in a church, this is maybe harder, but the, the voices that are compassionate, that are authentic, that you know are real people who are taking this seriously, but now are on the outside. I think there can, there's a path of gratitude to, that helps you to be grateful for those voices or listen to those voices instead of to try to win the argument on either side. Yep. I like the, I like that gratitude a lot. I think it's important, especially when you kind of head off the feeling of the, that you should, that everything that you left is, it's all bad. Burn it down. Burn it down. Yeah. Like, I may disagree now with a lot of the core tenets of the Church of Christ, but there are people who I spent time with and know and love that I wouldn't change a thing for it. Right. And experiences that I had what I, that made me who I am, and I'm thankful. So I think that's a good place to go. And look for new things to be thankful for, right? Yeah. And there are like new things that we'd never, you know, part of the nomad this wilderness journey is we're in new territory now. So the the things that we're able to talk about now or the things that we're able to see or discover, whether, we're, you know, it's, we're discovering in our, in our group, in our uh, Facebook group, new music and a new way to worship or a new way to experience mm-hmm. this journey or connect with truth uh, through the songs that are not in the songbook. It's, yeah. Right? Yeah, precisely when sometimes those songs in the songbook kind of trigger things that you don't want to think about. <laughs> it's like the non grit sandpaper sometimes, those songs. <laughs> like, sing and be joyful today. You know, w- yeah. when you're like really going through something hard, that's when they're really like, you better become an oyster because otherwise this is going to wear you out real fast, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been enjoying that uh, playlist your brother started. Yeah, he's he is talented at that. All the only music that we listen to is 
the stuff that he likes on Spotify or the stuff that he writes. <laughs> yeah, I was just uh. looking at the the list. So uh, for those following along at home, the Following the Fire Facebook, the Following the Fire discussion group on Facebook, Daniel, who does the music for our podcast, also put together a collaborative playlist called For the Journey. And uh, I'll put a link to it. And he he kind of posted about how, like, like I was saying, how sometimes the some of the worship music that we are used to is kind of hard to hear for reasons. And so he opened this up, and I've I've been adding songs to it. it looks like um, Allison, who was on our episode about the making a biblical womanhood, she's added some songs. Valerie, who was on the episode about what was it with? No, that was Heather. Jesus and John Wayne. She's added some stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it, yeah, Heather's added some things too. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, and it's it's neat to see the kinds of songs that some people see and feel as worshipful that are not quote unquote worship songs. Like Heather added "Zombie" by the Cranberries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I'm gonna have to listen to that and really listen to the words and see what she's thinking. And I I added a bunch of stuff. I've been meaning to add. So I, I need to I need to go back and listen through some to some songs. But my you mentioned your uh, fantastic Mr. Fox is your like comfort zone. Yeah, and mine is the music of Weezer. Ah, my name is Jonas. So, yeah, so I will. I used to have have a code with my friends, which is like, I'm gonna go into my car and listen to some Weezer. Means like, you know. Kind of had a bad, bad couple of months. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the the simplicity of uh, 1990s Weezer. So I'm gonna add my at least one religious Weezer song, <laughs> maybe more. Oh, that's a good. I, there's a Toad the Wet Sprocket song I need to add too. Couple. So uh, sorry if I ruined the playlist for everybody, but <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I have U2, Iron and Wine, Josh Ritter. Uh, Wait, how do you? John, okay, I'll have to. John I'm so bad at technology. <laughs> I'll, I'm I'll the opposite. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, so it's so that's been that's been kind of fun to see the collaboration on that. I didn't know Weezer had any religious songs. They're almost all religious. <laughs> <laughs> so the the sweater song is like an allegory. I think it can't hit that hard if it's not religious. <laughs> Depends on what you mean by religious, right? The sweater song is the most deconstructing deconstruction song. That, that's true. That's true. Right? It's an unraveling of, uh-huh. of the pattern of comfort. Come on, Steve. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now I have to add the sweater song just as a joke. <laughs> well, at least I like that one. All right. Well, thanks for this. This is really, I, uh, I didn't expect to be thinking this deep about stuff tonight. <laughs> It's a Tuesday. I know. <laughs> Throwing me off, man. I'm used to doing this yeah. on Wednesdays. <laughs> man, I don't know what's going to happen if I get heavy this early in the week. Well. Uh, good to talk to you. Yeah. See you next week, man. Next yeah, week, it's just talking about the the book. Read the book. Yeah. Faith I finally out, read out, it. It took me forever. I'm really excited to talk about it. I've actually been stifling. I've wanted to say stuff that's 
like book I've, I've heard some of the verbiage slipping through like complexity Definitely. simplicity sure. so. yeah 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 I i'm really excited about this one too and my wife is going to be our guest on this one that's going to be awesome yeah so she had a lot of good thoughts so Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later. Bye.